Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Bo Brinson. I'm your host. It's uh, Wednesday. Makes sense. I think it's Wednesday. It's Thanksgiving season. Oh, wait. I know. What day is it? Oh, yeah. It's Wednesday. It's a Brady Quinn football show. Also in the feed at some point. So we're having some um, – we're, we're, we're working through – you know, we're, we're, doing, we're doing what you got to do, uh, you know, in the offseason. Uh, but – we uh, we might have an RJ White feed preview for Thanksgiving. I don't know if it's coming out Wednesday or Thursday, but RJ and I have already done it. We went through every single, all three Thanksgiving games. By the way, hey Brady, hey, how you doing, Will? I'm doing great. Uh, went through all three Thanksgiving games, broke down best bets, player props, and DFS options. So that's great. In this episode, yes, go ahead. Before we get into football, before we get into stuff that people may want to hear about, I need your top three Thanksgiving dishes. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, now, I, w- I will say, so you want like traditional dishes? No, no, no. Whatever your top three are, whatever you want that to be, with the exception of desserts don't count. I, yeah, I wouldn't give you desserts. Okay. So my favorite thing about Thanksgiving, and this has happened in the last five or six years, once we, uh, well, I guess seven or eight years. So once uh, my grandparents both died, we stopped going down to Florida for Thanksgiving. We did that every single year. We did. We would drive down to Jackson. And you didn't like it? No, I mean, we, we sort of you know, changed traditions. Like I got married. Uh, you know, I had to stay home and go see my in-laws for Thanksgiving. So we stopped driving to Jackson. Can I repeat what you just said? You go, one of my favorite traditions about Thanksgiving is after after my grandparents died it was like you basically because now after they've died you now have this favorite tradition it just kind of sounds messed up that that that, the phrasing was probably bad on that i will say i will say this though my favorite thing about thanksgiving of all time was we would go out to a the so the uh the skinner's favorite thing it's your favorite food dish well i'm just telling you about my favorite thanksgiving tradition just listen to me for crying out loud we would go out to a farm in Jacksonville and they would have a 70 every person every single person there usually 130 people would bring a covered dish and so you go through this buffet and sample and they'd have like like everything like 42 different types of stuffing all kinds of casseroles etc and afterwards we would go back to my grandfather's house huge golf fan huge football fan and we would sit on the couch and we would watch NFL and we would both fall asleep and that I love that now since then since we don't go to Florida, we go to my parents' house and we cook oysters. Oh, and so oysters are my, like, there's nothing. I love oysters. We steam them. My brother and I steam a, a couple of bushels of oysters and we just hang out outside in the farm and shuck oysters, chat it up, drink some cold beers. And, uh, it was a, it won't be as many people this year. I don't even know if we'll have oysters this year, 
Oysters not really a COVID food, but oysters. I don't think oysters are like afraid of COVID. You could probably still have the oysters. There's not as many people probably eating the oysters. So oysters are a very off the wall number one food for me. Wow. Number two stuffing. And uh, hmm, number three, I'll say green bean casserole. What about you? Wow. Okay. 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 So I'm like the big casserole cream kind of goodness type stuff. So yeah, I, I'm gonna go ahead and like jump over the turkey because. Turkey's turkey. I mean, you got to have somebody who can really do it right. And even then, turkey kind of If you don't add gravy to it and stuff, the other things, like it by itself cannot last. So we mix out turkey. Uh, sweet potato mash. A great, like, sweet potato mash. Sometimes put a little marshmallow on there. You know what I'm saying? A little vanilla bean sweet potato mash. Oh, if you can do that right, you know, that's that to me is the number one. That, that to okay. me is the number one. Then uh, following it up. Green bean casserole. I got kind of almost at a close tie, probably third place, and then cream corn at two. Like, you got to have some good cream corn in there. It's got to help. The corn helps with the digestive system. So you get everything to get out of you. You know, like it, you're going to eat a lot. You're going to probably have a few servings. You need the corn to help flush everything out of you. And that way, then you can see it the next day. All right. Let me ask you this. Have you, so I've, I've been thinking about this idea for like a week and a half. You've got uh, three small daughters now, right? Three. That's right. I'm assuming that they have today. You have to consume some either some Chick Fil A or fried chicken, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, they, they eat fried chicken. They're eating, but they eat like. Do they eat Chick Fil A? Do they have Chick Fil A down there? Yeah, of course. So there's chicken nuggets all the time. So Not want, time, but yeah, yeah. What I want, Brady, is I want somebody at Chick Fil A or some enterprising mom to figure out a way to make a casserole dish, and maybe it needs to be mac and cheese. Maybe it could be green bean casserole if you want to be really aggressive, but then the topping on it is nothing but crumbs from the Chick-fil-A nuggets, Ooh. like those crusty little fried chicken crumbs that come off the nuggets. And that's like the whole crust on the casserole. I think uh -huh. you could, if you drop that on somebody on Thanksgiving this year, or maybe it has to be next year, you're blowing everybody's minds. Like yeah. you're coming in hot and they're like, whoa, whoa, who's this? Now, I don't know how you collect the nugget crumbs. That seems a little unsanitary. But I, I, I'm trying to figure my way into this recipe. Let me give you my greatest Thanksgiving meal ever. Okay, greatest Thanksgiving meal ever. Prime one twelve. Yeah, <laughs> no cooking, nothing. I had a buddy who would like hit me up two months before Thanksgiving and literally said to me, "Hey, uh, Miami, there's not, there's not a prime one twelve in Fort Lauderdale." But they, he literally said to me, "Hey." I'm coming back from a trip. We're going to do Thanksgiving in South Florida. We'd love to go to meet you guys at Prime 112. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm traveling, doing broadcasting, but I actually should be back. I can make this work. We can meet you guys down there. Uh, at that time, we just had Sloan. They just had their first as well. And so we had Thanksgiving at Prime 112. And I got to be honest with you, That's incredible. the bill was astronomical, but the food was so good. And it, obviously, we still got the leftovers. But we didn't have to clean up the mess, and we didn't have to worry about the stress of cooking. That was one of the greatest Thanksgivings I've ever had because it was so stress-free. That's pretty good. That is, uh, that's it. That actually sounds incredible. Did you go like? Did you? Did they make like a Thanksgiving style? Oh, everything, man, everything. And like they had their signature like, dishes like too. Turkey and like, but like, yeah, yeah. it was awesome. I, I like to this day. I was like. Why do we, why do we cook? Why do we stay to do all this? Like, 
Why don't we just go out to eat somewhere? I, I think we're really missing out on this. Are you are you in or out on deviled eggs? I'm out. My my dad is in. Chopper is in on that. He loves deviled <laughs> eggs. I literally take Chopper him to on like, the podcast one day. Uh, we'll try to. His, his hearing's not great. We have to give him like two IFBs. to <laughs> sit in there and listen to us with big headphones. But yeah, you know, we we should try to get Chopper on. Uh, maybe if I'm in Ohio, we'll try to do a show. I'll bring Chopper in. But he, he he'll just sit there and you know cuss and make up some other stuff. So who knows? Did you get to see uh, Chopper this weekend when you were in? Uh, of course, you're at the Horseshoe, right? Yeah, yeah. Once it went to Columbus, saw Ohio State. Uh, kind of, I don't want to say squeak one out, but it was looking close there versus Indiana. That's a good IU team. Uh, but yeah, Chopper as usual showed up an hour late for dinner, which is the status quo. Uh, and and apparently I'm the only one who informed him of where the dinner was. So he always gets frustrated that no one keeps in the loop yet. He's the guy you can never really find. So okay, so I think Chopper and Bob Brinson would get along because Bob shows up late and it's like, I've been like I've been busy and no one told me where to be. It's like if this is your idea and like you are you are in charge of your job. Like, right. like you are a partner at the law firm. You can do whatever the bleep you want. Like if you want to leave early, you leave early and you get like, right. yeah, but it is what it is. Um, football. Let's talk football. Let's do it. Unless you want to talk more thing. I, we could talk the whole episode of thanksgiving honestly <laughs> um, maybe we should do this let's let's talk about some of the quarterback play and we can compare it to like a, a thanksgiving dish okay i'm down for that i do have a question for you first though about thanksgiving yeah. football should the nfl take the lions off of thanksgiving mm, that's a tough one yeah i i personally don't think so i mean traditions are traditions right like for example I, I heard, I can't remember where it was, but someone was talking about how the Detroit Lions are one of the worst professional organizations in all of you know, sports and in the NFL in particular. And it's important because they do one of the dumbest things you could ever do with a professional you know, uh, NFL team. Being a cold weather state where you have a home field advantage when teams from the South have to come up North and then, and then play in a dome. And so one, like my first initial reaction was, okay, this person clearly doesn't understand that when they build these stadiums, there's like other things that occur there for generating revenue. So yeah, it might give them that home field advantage because it's cold out, uh, but both teams have to play in that cold weather. And on top of that, it limits you being able to have concerts. Like when your Lions aren't playing in the playoffs, you know, and you go to that like Kenny Chesney concert in January, he ain't coming if you don't have a dome, dude. So um, yeah, but it's, 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 it's partially about tradition. Like one thing like I always hated was, for example, and this is why they connected in my head, in, at Notre Dame, because of a long, long tradition with Newt Rockney and his wife and USC, every other year we travel to Southern California over Thanksgiving. And so I've never experienced a Thanksgiving in a long, long time outside of the one you just talked about once I got in the broadcast and can make it back for. <laughs> but, you know, we've usually been doing it as a team at Notre Dame or even with an NFL team or wherever we were. But part of the thing is, is like, why don't you have USC come, you know, in, in November to Notre Dame, right? Have the Southern Cal kids deal with the cold, the weather, all, the, the climate, that whole thing. Um, and, and obviously, you know, it's, it's something that was like, it's tradition. So we just do it. But would that play a better advantage for you in those years when USC is actually good and paying players again? I don't know, maybe. So, um, you know, that, that's like one of those things where it's tradition. So we just keep doing it even though it might not play exactly to their advantage. Did Notre Dame always play at USC? We, we played the USC or Stanford. 
over that Thanksgiving weekend. So we travel out usually. Notre Dame, is it? Well, if, if it's USC or Stanford, it's always earlier in the year. If it's, it's at Notre Dame. So in other words, they it's always been set up like, yeah, we're not coming to we're not coming to South Bend. And the story goes, and I'm sure someone who's gonna you know write in some review and like complain about it or whatever. The story goes that Newt Rockney's wife wanted to you know be able to have a, a warm weather trip, and so they started, and it's kind of been that way ever since. Traveling out to USC every other year. So Newt Rockney's wife flexed him into a Thanksgiving trip. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. That's like the least surprising thing of the entire story. Think about back then when they had to take a train for two days just to get across the country. Um, so you know, back then it was a little bit different. But yeah, I mean, it, I don't think any husband will be surprised that his wife flexed on him and she ended up winning out. Well, I, I'm just saying, Newt Rockney is Newt Rockney, and he got flexed on. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, uh, I think that's case in point again. Like, happy wife, happy life. I mean, come on, AK could tell you that any day of the week. It is amazing, and again, we will get to football in a second, but it is amazing. This is – Devo's not here this week. This is what happens. We're off the rails, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, it is kind of crazy. So, like, you – you know, I mean, like, you you were a first-round pick. You're a professional yeah. quarterback. You did, you did very well for yourself. Like, Mike – I know Mike Glennon, who lives in Raleigh. Like, I, like I know some athletes, right? And you'd think – like, I think in our minds, it's like, oh, you know, they're an athlete. They do whatever – no. No, it's the same. It works the same way in terms of these spousal, like, like, yeah, like the first thing I would tell, like, a, you know, young kids who are starting to be fresh out there, all this stuff is like, like, for example, like we'd have like a home ec class, like learn how to wash dishes and cook a little bit because you're going to have to for your kids. Cause yeah. it's, cause the problem is, is even if you have the money to pay for someone else to do it or just order in food, a, you're not going to order in food because you don't feel like it's overly healthy. You're probably educated to the point where you're like, I want to make sure I control somewhat most times what they're eating. And then B, you know, you want them to see you actually taking care of them. You know, that's part of being a father. That's part of how that works. Right. I'm trying to refocus my camera. But yes, exactly. The, I, it's, you just, you just end up being a regular dad. Like, like, yeah, well, you, you're a regular dad or just a dad. Like, that's kind of how it works. Like, you are, there's no regular dad. Last, last, yeah. Like it doesn't matter whether you're a professional athlete, whether you're a professional blogger, whether you work in a steel factory or whether you work at a video game office, you still got the same dad duties. Once it all pops out, it's and the same still changing diapers, poopy diapers, wiping butts, the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just find that kind of fascinating because I think that the perception might be otherwise. Okay. Anyway, let's talk quarterbacks and two quarterbacks played on Monday night and we broke it down in the, in the podcast feed, of course, Ryan Wilson asked a question that I think is worth asking you. Is Tom Brady good? <laughs> yes. Is, good. is Tom Brady still good? Uh, yeah, he's still good. Uh, yeah. I think he's shown that in flashes this year, maybe not versus some of the tougher defenses or in prime time. I think that's that's usually how we end up basing our opinion off of you know, the good teams when they're playing in primetime, they have a bad performance. So no, he's, he's still good. Here, here's the issue. You know, the, the first interception, he was clearly impacted with his lower half trying to get into that throw. That's the right spot. I mean, or I should say that's the right guy to throw to probably would have been the right spot if he could get his entire body into the throw. Like what you fail to kind of forget is he's 43. This is not a guy that just kind of flicks the football with his wrist like Aaron Rodgers or, hey, you know, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I mean, like, that's not his game. No, I mean, he's he's the type of guy that he has to get his whole body into the throw. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just how he is. So the first, you know, interception was obviously impacted by the rush. 
The second one was just a bad throw. Like there's no way of getting around it. You can blame it on chemistry, whatever you want. Uh, it's just a bad throw. And I think he's probably more likely than not to have more of those now in his, in his older age than not. Here's the, here's the issue. Here's the biggest thing. You know, they got away. They rushed the football for what, 192 yards last week. And then this week they got away from it way too fast. You know, he has traditionally had some semblance of a running game or balance. And if he hasn't, it's because they feel like they're going to throw the football, throw the crap out of the football to take advantage of a bad secondary or defense that they can do that against. You know, they're not going to just, you know, bang their head against the wall. So uh, I thought they, they all of a sudden got away from the run game too fast. You know, they really tried to implement this kind of, I don't want to say dink and dunk, but I mean, look at the Antonio Brown targets for the most part. Everything was quick out of his hands, taking what they give you, you know, getting these five-yard, six-yard completions. Same thing with Godwin for the most part. And then you take a shot to, to Mike Evans every once in a while. It just it wasn't the game plan that I think is, is, is what Bruce Arians wants, but it's also not like what Tom Brady was doing either in New England when they'd spread teams out. Like they don't have that type of running back that you could spread out and find that mismatch with. Gronk isn't Gronk like he used to be. So this is just a different like feel different offense right now. I don't really know what they feel like they can consistently hang their hat on in new England. I don't think they had any problem, you know, figuring out how they were going to find production or find ways of winning football. That's what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are still trying to figure out is how do they go about winning these football games? What's their identity on offense? And the last thing is they will, you know, they've been inconsistent up front on their offensive line. That's going to happen when you play Aaron Donald. But I think the way they try to kind of play around Donald clearly impacted, I think, how this game looked, at least, when you throw 48 attempts and only throw for 215 yards. Yeah, and I, I thought it was notable. I, I do I, – I'm not trying – I mean, I think Wilson – the way Wilson phrased it was not a way to, like, hot take Tom Brady or bury Tom Brady. But I do think it's, it's worth asking a question. Like, I mean, the Buccaneers have three eggs in primetime games against the Bears. Yeah. They don't even play well against the Giants. You could even say four. The Bears, Saints, and Rams games. And I know the Rams game was close, and the Bears game was close. But the Rams beat the crap out of them. Like, the Rams should have throttled them. I, 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 I have a question about the coaching on both sides of the ball, and I, I think they have good coaches. Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles are good coaches. But they came out playing zone against – uh, Jared Goff and Sean McVay and Robert Robert Woods and Cooper Cup lit them up for the like three quarters. And this is after they played zone with no blitz against Drew Brees and they got lit up. And Bruce Arians lamented how they got away from the run too fast against the Saints and then immediately got away from the run against uh, the Rams. I know that's hard, but it, like if you're gonna if you're gonna impact Aaron Donald, run on him. Right. Right. Run, at, run at him, run on him, run away from him, force him to do something besides literally dig his feet in and just rush and yeah. upfield. Like, and, and, and we have an offensive line that didn't have Ali Marpet. That hurts. You know, you got Shipley in that center. Jensen moves over. It's like, it's already not a favorable matchup. So why, why are you then exacerbating the issue? Um, no, there's, there's an issue with that. I think in part, like you could make the case, you know, maybe it's the lack of adjustments to in-game. Like, I think that's one of the things that when Tom left New England, he maybe took for granted how good New England is with in-game adjustments. And that's something that we just don't see quite as much. Like the game plan's the game plan. If it's not working, we're just calling another play on the game plan and you know, deal with it at that point. Or do we feel like we have enough talent where these guys can make some plays? Uh, but you know, you it's funny, you go back to the Rams and just the way they were able to exploit the zone coverage with bowls. Goff gets the ball out of his hands so quick, like none of the pressures were really gonna matter. And then you look at how they moved around Cup, they moved around Woods, they put them on the inside. Well, 
you know, your match, your cover three, you know, match zone only only works when you've got cornerbacks who are matched up on the outside. Once you move those receivers in on the inside, now they're working against safeties, linebackers, other players, or you know, a nickelback who's not as good of a cover player, uh, at least compared to the other two starting corners. And you've got them winning in those advantages. So that was the other thing that kind of stood out to me is just not really a, much of a, an adjustment or lack thereof from Todd Bowles. And I, I think they could have went to some sort of man-to-man coverage. But at this point, you know, I don't know if he didn't feel comfortable doing that or making that wholesale change, but they're going to need to when they get to the playoffs. I mean, that's for sure. Because the one thing they have working for them is, you know, like they're not going to win the division, yeah. but they might be the sweepstakes for that number five seed. And that, that's what it's about, right? <laughs> yeah. Like you are, if you're in the NFC, you are praying to God you win enough games to be a wild card. Maybe even unless you're the number one seed. Like if you're not the number one seed, you might not even want to win your division. You'd rather be like a wild card team, be the five, and have to play whoever wins the NFC East. Five's better than two. Yeah, 100%. Better than two or three. Five's better. You're comfortable not hosting one. Two plays seven, and you get to you get to host in COVID, which might doesn't matter. It's like a coin flip on whether that even matters because yeah. you're going to have home, like fans at your stadium. And five plays four in Dallas, which will have fans, but okay, whatever. It's Andy Dalton or – Not enough. I mean, Bryce everyone's going to stay too, right? Or Steve McClendon or something. I don't know. Like name, I'm making up fake names for the Cowboys quarterback, but you get the point. It's Andy Dalton, but yeah. I said Andy Dalton or like Bryce McMahon or Steve McClendon. Like Madden's going to generate some name after after Andy Dalton gets smothered by the the, the Washington football team this week. Um, Jared Goff, he so I think one of the things and I, we were I was sort of having this debate with a couple of other people about who's the, who the MVP was from Monday night. And Jared Goff played really well, although once they switched to man, he did make some mistakes. I think the MVP is Sean McVay, although you could say the offensive line, but Jared Goff was great. He made some awesome throws, and they got him in a – they got the ball out so – you mentioned it. They got it out so effing fast early on. Like, he was snap, turn, throw, quick read, get it out, and it feels like once he gets – and you can probably explain this better than I can having, you know, played professional quarterback, but, like – once he gets a couple of those throws down, it feels like he gets so much more comfortable being in the pocket and reading defenses and seeing what he's seeing, right? No, I think it helps when you, you get a few completions. You know, it's no different than you're having a, you know, you're, you're playing basketball, right? And, and, and early in the game, you get fouled going to the basket. You hit a few free throws. You watch the ball go through the hoop. That's a confidence builder. You start to get into a rhythm. And, and that's kind of what it's like as a quarterback out there, too. You get a couple of completions, maybe play a little bit of tempo. They get you on the move, doing some boots as well. And, and then you start kind of, you know, feeling it like you're, you've got a sense for the pocket, a sense of rhythm within everything. Uh, and that's not to say he didn't make some a couple of poor throws, as you pointed out. But for the most part, like, I think the one thing that's impressed me about Jared Goff is, like, we never doubt his ability to absolutely sling it. Like, yeah. this dude – it, it, like when we look at Lamar Jackson, he's the reigning MVP. We're like, oh, like is he going to be able to make it and last as a, as a quarterback if he can't play from the pocket? Like we asked that question about a former MVP, that never even like comes comes into question when talking about Jared Goff. Like people, it, it's more about like, oh, well, if, if their offensive line's not playing well, like he struggles. Like okay, so does Tom Brady. So does every other quarterback that's ever played. If you're more of a pocket passer for the most part, so I just come away impressed with like just how how the kid is an absolute hose. And he, and he never backs down. Like he's, he's, and he shows up, by the way, in primetime. Like he's one of those guys that when you go back through his history of him playing in primetime games, like it's not that they always win, but I don't recall him really having some bad games. Like usually he's putting up some point and he's showing out. He stinks against the Bears and that's it. 
they still won that game though this year, did they not? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So like, like in the end, it's not like some god awful. Hey, I forgot what down it was against the Bears on primetime. Like well, that's the other like, side of this conversation, by the way. Is okay. There was the Bears kerfluffle. I'm not sure what you want to call it. Like, was it fourth down? Was it not? Tom Brady was confused. I'm going back to the end of that. And then you look at last night. Like, he tried to throw a batted pass that he caught forward again. Like, are we getting to the point where Tom Brady's, like, got his, like, art card, and he's like, I'm just going to try to get away with it and see if anyone actually calls me out on it? Or is it more like you think he didn't know? All right, so uh, two two things on this. I'm, I'm repeating from uh, Tuesday morning's pod a bit, but we haven't talked about this. So, uh, one, do you remember when Phil Mickelson chased after a putt and hit a moving ball? Yeah. That was what Tom Brady did. He caught the pass. He's like, eh, I'm going to throw it again. Like, it's like, no, you know, you can't do that. Stop that. Uh, well, two, this is where it actually becomes a bit of an issue with him doing that. Let's it? say, let's say that went for a first down. All right. Because there's no loss of down, he would have the chance that they accepted the penalty to play the down again. Yeah. Which that's kind of a loophole in the rule book that they should probably get rid of. Well, because then what happens if they convert off of that third down, even though he made that play? If you look at any other illegal forward pass, it's a loss of down. They don't have that. No, I, I agree. No, like Bruce Arians should have gone for it on fourth down once McVay declined it. It was fourth and two. Go for it. Like, you needed that right there. Uh, by the way, I lost. I had Mike Evans under four and a half receptions. Because they declined that. <laughs> yeah the way that it got altered was they gave mike evans a pass they didn't count the pass from brady to himself that was just eradicated from the rule book or from the right. stat book the, the mike evans pass counts he hit hit five catches so that's, that's unfortunate you know it was the easiest bet that i think you and i were both on was cooper cup over for was it five and a half catches my gosh i think i was actually on the under which yeah. were you yeah that's a mistake Oh, was it? I thought it was. I thought it was you and me, and it was Kenny on the other side. Yeah, I think I was on the under too. I was like, I thought they might go with the two tight end sets. They did the opposite of what I thought. That, now I thought the Rams were going to win and cover, so I'm I'm fine with it. Right. But I thought they might go two tight ends and try to run the ball, and instead they you you were right. You said they would spread it out, right, pass all over the place. I thought you were with me on that one. Huh. No, no. Huh. We we do too many prop bets because I can't even keep track of these things. I know. Out. It needs to be what's your best prop bet. That'd right, which I thought Tom Brady over two touchdowns was pretty easy, even though it did feel like he had to work for it a little bit. He did have to work for it. Uh, okay, let's take a break. When we come back, we have two quarterbacks we're concerned about, and we'll tell you and discuss. Okay, so Lamar Jackson. I mean, we talked about this on HQ, and you and I agree, but Greg Roman's having a crappy season. Yeah, I think there there kind of is a little bit more, you know, I don't want to say blame, but you know, maybe maybe more to that. And just looking at, you know, they're becoming a little bit predictable. Um, you know, I think when you break down the film of, of Lamar and watching him in the pocket, and even watching him in some of their zone read scheme, to be honest with you, there's times when you're like, oh, he, he should have give that, he should have gave that, or he should have pulled it. And and so I'm getting to the point now where I look at it like a week like this, right? Short week, you're gonna play Pittsburgh. If you're Greg Roman and you want Lamar Jackson to potentially carry the football, let's just get away from the potential part. Call a design run. You know, QB counter, QB power, whatever quarterback design run you want, draw, just so you take out the decision on it. I think he runs more decisive that way and he's better off that way. Hmm. Or call a run for Gus Edwards, you know, or Justice Hill in this case. It's the only two healthy running backs at that point. But that's one thing I think that stood out to me is he's averaging like over a yard less per attempt 
you know, looking at his stats this year. And I think it's important because of this overall decision-making, even on the zone reads, not even to mention the fact of the passing standpoint. Like, they obviously need to try to do more of – take something out of, for example, Sean McVay's playbook. Like, there's too many times where I feel like either off play action or he's dropping back, and they're trying to make him read a defense. Just put him under center. Yeah. Try to run an outside zone play every once in a while, and then boot him off of that. Like, it's easy for him to be out in the run – one, two, three in his progression or take off and run and use his legs. Like, or, or just things off that. Don't even play action. Just sprint him out right and give him three easy reads or he takes off running downhill. So the, the thing I don't like when you're saying like a sprint out, right, is you cut the field in half. Now sure. you might say, well, isn't that the case of the boot? Yeah, but the difference is you're at least forcing the defense to go one direction with the misdirection. And then obviously you want to you have a complimentary play built off of that. That's one of the issues that I think I see right now in the Baltimore Ravens offense is there's not many things that complement one another within their system. You see it from time to time, but not always. And then in particular with the wide receivers, figure out a, game, a way of getting them more involved easier. And, and probably the biggest thing is they've got to figure out a way of getting Lamar to take that outside throw when he's got a seven, eight yard cushion to the number three wide receiver in three by one or the outside receiver in two by two, or even sometimes backside in a one-on-one scenario. He's got to be willing to take some, you know, take some of those easy, a six-yard hitch, a nine-yard stop, any of those things, and be able to move on with the next play. I feel like sometimes they're looking for bigger plays downfield, or he's only focused on anything in the middle, and then he's looking to run, and he's not really taking what's out there for him that the defense is giving him. Um, I, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I also think that Hollywood Brown, there's something going on with these guys. There's so, I don't know what it is. There's just something. Well, go back to his college days. I mean, when you looked at him in Oklahoma, he was he was almost never pressed in press man-to-man coverage. He was usually running wide open because of the play design or whatever else they had going on in the backfield. So this is the first time I think he's had to deal with a number of things. And, and defenses that, especially when you run more of an up-tempo at times, which Oklahoma did, you know, defenses adjusting and having to adjust your route potential in the fly. Like, I, I just – I don't know that these guys are getting open, finding separation, or, or you know – that Lamar is confident in them be able to make plays for him. So I, I, as of right now, if, if it's Des Bryant and, and Mark Andrews, it looks like Willie Sneed's another compliment, but I mean, Des Bryant, what are we doing? Um, he at least has good hands, you know, and, and you know where he's going to be and you know, he knows how to separate and get open. So it, for me as a quarterback, that's as important as anything else. Okay. Uh, what about Carson Wentz? This is the toughest one because. Should they bench Carson Wentz? No, they shouldn't bench him. I mean, he, first off, they're still in the division race, and he gives them the best chance to win. But I do think at some point, if they were out of the division race, they have three, you know, two or three games to play. They should look at putting in Hurts because they're not. They might not be a preseason next year. They might not be your normal offseason. So you drafted them for what? What reason? Now, any anyone who's drafted a quarterback that high, and I had this conversation with Andrew Brandt, you know. Usually the guy, when you're drafting him like that, you don't really have a plan for him because you didn't expect him to be there. They thought he'd be drafted higher. So you draft him to then see potentially what's going to happen. But the problem is, without a preseason, without the offseason, there's not much time for development. So at some point this season, they should get him on the field if they are out of the division race, purely just to see what they have in him for the future, whether he can compete or be a backup or a gadget you know, quarterback, whatever the case is. They, they need to look at it from that perspective. In regards to Wentz, though, I mean, you've got guys back. You know, the, the, as far as the protection, it wasn't great versus versus Cleveland, but it's more the decision-making and him just, you know, not eating it and living to punt and play a field position battle, whatever the case is. 
it, it's more about that, which should be an easy fix. And it's one of the reasons why, even though they have a, ter- a tough, tough schedule, you still kind of look at them and say, all right, like I still maybe give them a chance because I think they can flip the switch and fix what he's doing right now relatively quickly. So I, I saw Brian Baldinger break this down, and I, I didn't notice it from the game itself. So Baldy breaks it, yeah, doing some film work immediately after the game. There's a play where Wentz basically takes a runs on a re, uh, uh, RPO where he had a bubble screen to Jalen Rager on the outside, and he could have either handed it off on a, on a draw or take off on the, and like, he didn't even consider the bubble screen. Now, when you, when you see something like that, is that a byproduct? And, and Baldy correctly pointed out afterwards, like these offensive line, it's third and seven, the offensive linemen are like moping around. Like, what are we, what are we doing? Um, is well, that- first off, if, if you've got an RPO on third and seven, that's a bad play call. If, if you're not running a fourth down play. So that's the first thing I'd say in that regard, because right. when you call an RPO, you want to run the football. The only reason you're not running the football is then you're looking to potentially take that bubble depending on a number of things. It could be a number in the box count, but that doesn't necessarily mean you take the bubble. It depends on what type of coverage that is being played over those two well, receivers. Well, there was, a, there, was a, there was a safety dropped into the box as if he was playing the run, and, the, and it was Rager had two other – I mean, it, from the look after the snap, it did appear that the play is throw to Rager and just see what happens. But I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, like an RPO is not a – is not a like let's pass and see what happens. It's – it's a run with a pass option. Right. I mean, literally, that's why we, we needed – I wish we could get back to the old, you know, alert system where you have two play calls or check, you know, just check the play in general, depending on the certain looks you get. In, in particular, on third down, where that's usually the case. I'd have to go back and look at the look. But, you know, to sit there and just say, oh, they didn't have the box count, they, want, they wanted to throw the bubble, unless there was, like, no one over the slot and it was that egregious. You know, Wentz might have been looking at it saying – that guy's trying to middle me, but he's not included in the box, in my opinion, so he should be good. Or maybe they're being, he's being directed to say, hey, even versus this look, it's more about the technique. We feel like we can run against the extra man. There's a lot of different things when it comes down to why quarterbacks make certain decisions um, that, that go beyond just looking at film after the game and trying to guess why well, he didn't throw to a bubble in that case. That was sort of my question. Like, Do you think this is more a Wins thing or a Doug Peterson thing? Could be Doug Peterson. I mean, I, I think they've missed Frank Reich to be you know, pretty blunt. <laughs> I mean, look, look at how the Colts have, have played and been and, and just the job he does for them. And it just it hasn't seemed to really been the same. Um, so I think that's played, that's played a, a big factor on him. Um, and, and also, like, again, I, I don't know if it's like Doug Peterson have a hard feel for, like, what they can do successfully or, you know, maybe people have more of a better feel for, you know, Wentz in this offense and, and how to stop them at this point. Because it's starting to feel like it's, it's maybe both those things, right? And, and when you go back and look through some of the bigger plays that were created, you know, early on in Wentz's career, like there were times when he was busting out of the pocket and just heaving the football downfield. That's, that's their second play. That's not by design, right? That's when things break down and Wentz makes something out of nothing. Um, there was a fair amount of that. So like you that wonder, game last year, week one, where they're losing, he breaks contain, and all of a sudden it's bombed deep to Sean Jackson. That's not, no. that's not the playbook. No, and that and that's where you're saying like, all right, it's a great play, but it's like it's not how it was drawn up. It's not how you're installing it. You know, you can pat Doug Peterson on the back, but you know, it's it's, it's not what what he was initially calling that play for. Right, you got lucky, and a playground thing happened. All right, right. so the Eagles, unfortunately, probably not going to bench Carson Wentz because they're still in the division race at three, six, and one. That's a very short Brady Quinn football show. Hey, you have a wonderful Thanksgiving, though. Okay, Brady, Eat I as hope- much as you possibly can. 
I hope that Thanksgiving Jesus brings you all the sweet potatoes and marshmallows that you can possibly put. Some good gravy. And some gravy. Yeah. Uh, thanks, buddy. See you next week. See you next week. <laughs>